Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family, and uh, hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to John chapter 11. That's going to be uh, today, John chapter 11. And hey, what we're doing today is uh, well, first of all, let me do this. If you're new with us, let me go ahead and welcome you. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm uh, one of the lead pastors of our church, and we are incredibly honored um, that you're here. And I, I don't think it's an accident that you're here today. Um, what we're doing today is uh, we are finishing a series that we've been calling Asking for a Friend. And the reason we're doing this is uh, at Easter, what we did is we took a church-wide survey and we asked you what the things were that you most wanted to hear a message on what the Bible said about something and consolidated about 20,000 responses and, uh, and that turned into this series. Now, the issue that I'm hitting today is one that uh, I really wish was not one of the top four responses. In fact, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. Um, I wish this was something that no one ever asked about and no one ever was curious about. Um, but the fact of the matter is, this is an issue that uh, everyone in this room is either coming out of a season where you need this message, in a season where you need this message, or you're going into a season where you need this message. And here's what it is. Today we're answering the question, how do I get through or how do I deal with grief and loss? Uh, grief and loss. Now, here's what we know. Um, everybody everywhere is, uh, is gonna have some bad days in life. Um, that is absolutely inevitable, and, uh, and they range and vary in degree as far as how bad a bad day can be. It was interesting coming across uh, in sermon prep this week, I came across an article in a Florida newspaper um, about a guy who, <laughs> some of you are already laughing, you already know, Florida newspaper, that's what's gonna happen, uh, about a guy who had a uniquely bad day. Uh, story, what true story is he was out on his patio in front uh, of his house working on his motorcycle. And while he was working on it, he decided to rev the engine. And somehow the engine slipped into gear, but he didn't let go of the handlebars. And so the motorcycle just smashed right through the glass patio door into the middle of his living room. Well, his wife, uh, here's what happens. She comes running in. She sees her husband bleeding in one part of the room and motorcycle parts everywhere. She calls 911. And so the paramedics come. And according to the article, the, you had to walk up some outdoor stairs to get to the house. And so the paramedics come up and, uh, and they get there and they haul the guy off. Well, the wife, she in the living room sees motorcycle parts and gasoline everywhere. And so she decides, okay, well, I'm gonna clean this up. So she goes to the bathroom and gets some toilet paper and wipes up all the gasoline, throws it in the toilet and heads to the hospital. 
Well, later that day, both of them were released, and when the husband came home, he was just despondent. He sees this huge mess in the living room, and he just decides, hey, I'm gonna sit down on the toilet, and I'm gonna smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're ahead of me, you're ahead of me. So he sits down, and he smokes his cigarette, he gets the end of it, and he uh, flips the cigarette between his legs, kaboom, you know, just place blows up. So his wife runs in, she sees her husband on one side of the room, his pants on the other side of the room. She calls the paramedics, and the same paramedic crew is dispatched to come get that same guy. So they come up the stairs, and as soon as they see it, this is the same house, they start chuckling to themselves, and uh, whenever you know they get the guy and start walking out, the wife is walking next to him, and so they ask her, what in the world happened? She tells them the story. The paramedic crew starts laughing so hard that they drop the guy off the stretcher, and he breaks his arm. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a bad day. And here's what I know. All of us are going to have some very bad days, and here's where I'm going with this message. You know, uh, at the end of Jesus' life, we talk a lot as Christians about Friday, and we talk a lot about Sunday. We talk about the, the trauma of the crucifixion, we talk about the glory of the resurrection, but Saturday, it really doesn't get much play. You know, Friday was trauma, sa sa Sunday was glory, but Saturday was the hardest day for the disciples. And what I wanna do in this message is talk to you about how to make it through kinda, kinda your Saturday. Here's what Saturday is. Saturday is the child that'll meet his father in heaven, but right now the dad is just pictures and stories and iPhone movies. Saturday is the pain in your body that doctors can't do anything about. And one day you will get a new body in heaven, but right now it's pain pills and it's sleepless nights. Saturday, Saturday is the empty seat at the birthday table. Saturday is a sonogram picture that was never born. Saturday is the indention on the other side of your mattress that nobody else will ever fill because your spouse is gone. And what I want you to know is that Jesus walked through some Saturdays too. And I wanna talk real quick about this. Now the passage that we're looking at today, it's in John chapter 11, it's a very famous story. And uh, here's the story, I'm gonna overview it and then walk through it with us. There was a time when uh, one of Jesus' really close friends, a guy named Lazarus, and you guys remember Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, very biblically famous people. Lazarus was suffering from a terminal illness and Mary and Martha sent to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, if you'll just come, you, we know you can heal Lazarus and make all this better. And so they send for Jesus. The Bible actually says Jesus intentionally stayed where he was two days longer uh, to allow Lazarus to die. I'm gonna come back to that. And then he came to Lazarus' grave and Jesus had a very deep emotional response. And then eventually, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave and he resurrects him. Now, there are some things in here that are very practical, straightforward things. And I'm gonna preach this message in a much more practical way than maybe I usually do, and here's why. Because when you're walking through that kind of Saturday, when you're walking through pain, grief, and trauma, you just need something right in front of your face you can grab. So we're gonna do that. So let me do three things very practical for you when you walk through this kind of day. Number one, you have got to give yourself permission to grieve like Jesus. You've gotta give yourself permission to grieve like Jesus. I just wanna point something out to you. Now watch what it says. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was, it says, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Now, here, shortest verse in the Bible. We can do some Bible memory verse uh, you know, work today. Jesus wept. Okay, can we all just say that together? 
Jesus wept. Now, let me ask you this question, all right? Pop, pop quiz, theological quiz here. If Jesus was getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few verses, why is Jesus weeping? That's very interesting to me. Well, let me explain that. The Bible says that when God created the world, he created it through the word of his power. That God actually created the world through the power of Jesus. And when God initially created the world, he created everything good. There was only good and nothing evil. So there was worship, but there was no idolatry. There was sex, but no lust. There was drink, but no alcoholism. There was basketball, but no Duke. Football, but no Patriots. All of those things, right? It was... Uh, <laughs> Got to get that in. <laughs> it was a place of uh, no tears, death, sorrow, or sin. And everything was wonderful, but then the Bible says that mankind, that we rebelled against God. And now a curse lies over the whole world because of our rebellion against him. And so now, watch this. Fast forward thousands and thousands of years, and think about this. Jesus, who helped create the world in glorious perfection... Now he's standing in front of his friend's grave and he's surrounded by mourners and he's surrounded by a family that's grieving the loss of a family member. And here's what Jesus is thinking. He's weeping because he's thinking, it was never supposed to be this way. There was never supposed to be any graves. There was never supposed to be tears besides happy ones. There was never supposed to be mourners. There was never supposed to be family members separated from each other by the sheet of death. And what Jesus is showing us is that the godly response, the godly response to seeing the brokenness of the world is grief and tears. And you've got to give yourself permission to grieve like Jesus if you're gonna make it through pain, loss, and trauma. Okay, let me just teach about this really quick. You know, really honestly, we are people who like to avoid grief because grief is a painful emotion. But here's how life works, guys, watch this. There is no growth without change in life. And there is no change without loss in life. And there's no loss without grief. That's just the way the world works. Grief is a painful emotion, but it's a helpful emotion because watch this. Grief is the emotion God has given us that gives the gift of acceptance. To go through life without grief is like a mother who says, hey, I wanna have a baby, but I don't want the pain of labor. That's not how life works. And when you experience grief and loss and there's that sadness inside of you, you're gonna have three options. Watch this, you got three options. Some people will repress the grief, and that's what it looks like to deny it. We say things like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. It really didn't affect me that much. Everybody else overplays what that really does in their life. I've moved on, I'm fine. That's what it means to repress it. We can repress it. Some people don't repress it, they suppress it. And that's when we actively just, I'm not gonna think about it. I'm not gonna think about it, I'm not gonna think about it, I'm not gonna think about it. And there's a phrase that Christians sometimes use. Christians, by the way, are awesome at suppressing grief. We're amazing at this. There's a phrase that Christians sometimes use, and it's a good phrase, but sometimes we use it in a bad way, is we'll say to somebody in the middle of grief, we'll say, man, you just need to choose joy. Instead of being sad, choose joy. Or you'll do that to yourself. I'm not gonna be sad, I'm gonna choose joy. That's what it looks like to suppress our grief. So watch this, you can repress your grief, you can suppress your grief, but you know what Jesus did is he expressed his grief. He expressed it. And we don't like to grieve, but here's the truth. If you don't let it out, you will act it out. And when you don't grieve, here's what happens. You get stuck in that phase of your life and you spend the rest of your life reacting to something that happened long ago. You've got to grieve. Now, I wanna get really practical really quick here. Let me just talk to us as a church family. Guys, 
we all know this. We are not a bunch of spectators that show up to watch a show once a week. What the Bible says we are is a church family. And you, know, you guys know what families do? Families laugh together and families play together, but healthy families, they also cry together. And so let me just get really practical to help us be a church that's good at walking with people in grief. Let me give some really practical things here, okay? So a couple of practical things. Number one, never ever minimize somebody else's pain. Yes, sometimes what we we'll wanna do is we're trying to help a person and we think, man, maybe if I just shrink their sadness that it'll help them, when actually their sadness is huge and it just needs to get out. So here's, here's a phrase that we need to eliminate from our vocabulary, guys. Let's eliminate the phrase, at least. At least you have two other children. At least you have another parent left. At least you've still got your health. At least you can still adopt. Because we've gotta make space for the grief to be big enough in somebody's life so that it can get out and they can get to acceptance about what just happened. So never minimize somebody's pain. Number two, never rush people's grief. You know, have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Hey, at some point, you're just gonna have to get over it. Can I just say something to you in a really blunt way? Guys, when you walk through true loss and true trauma, you don't get over it, you grieve through it. That's the only way that it can happen. Now, let me come back to that phrase that well-meaning Christians will sometimes use, and this is a good phrase. Sometimes Christians will do this to rush people's pain. They'll say, hey, it's time for you to choose joy. You know, one of my favorite uh, passages in the New Testament comes from 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about how he and Timothy, he's describing himself in the midst of all their persecution. And you know what he says? He says, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Now, did you notice that? He said, we are simultaneously sorrowful and rejoicing. Watch this. Sometimes what Christians need is not joy instead of sadness. Sometimes what Christians need is we need to choose joy in the midst of sadness. That's what this looks like. Guys, it's not, you may think that because you're still grieving or because somebody around you is grieving that they have an absence of faith. Guys, listen to me. It's not an absence of faith that weeps. It's the presence of the image of God in us that weeps when we see the brokenness of the world. So we don't rush people's grief. Now, number three, number three, don't teach, listen. You know, it's really interesting, leading up to this sermon, uh, I got on my Facebook page and I just asked the question. Here, here's a question I asked. I just said, hey, help me with sermon prep. What's the most comforting thing anyone has ever done or said to you in your grief? And it really struck a chord. About 400 comments later, it was interesting. I went down, I read every single comment. There was one thing that was far and away, not even close, the most common response. And here's what it was. Nothing. They just sat with me and listened to me. Over and over and over again, the most common thing, nothing. They just sat and listened to me. And here's what you need to understand. When somebody's walking through grief, sometimes you wanna try to teach them biblical truths. God works all things for good. It's all gonna turn out right in the end. They're with heaven, they're in, a, they're in heaven, they're in a better place. But guys, when somebody's in grief, they don't need answers, they need your presence. They don't need your mouth, they need your ears. And one of the greatest ministries you can give to somebody in grief is to simply listen and help them grieve. So watch this. Instead of saying to somebody that's grieving something like, hey, maybe this is a blessing in disguise, try this. I can tell that person was an incredible blessing in your life. Would you like to tell me about them? Help them grieve. Okay, now last one. Last one, I need to get really pr practical. You need to connect to a life group. 
Guys, over and over and over again, what we see at Lake Point and any church I've really been a part of or seen is that when somebody walks through grief, when they're surrounded by a life group, their life changes and it's different than somebody who tries to walk it alone. Uh, you know, in that same Facebook thread, there was another very common theme. <laughs> the common theme was that people who made it through grief in a healthy, healthy way, they were surrounded by other Christians in life groups who walk with them. Let me just read you one example of this. This is from somebody, I'm reading this verbatim from that, that comment thread. One lady said, my life group came, she's talking about what happened immediately after the loss of her husband. My life group came and finished building the fence that my late husband was working on when he passed away. They showed up at the house, they prayed for us, they brought meals, they visited with my kids, they comforted my kids when I was unable to, and nearly a day hasn't gone by that somebody doesn't call or text to check up on me. That'll change your life. Now, can I just say something? I'm gonna say something in a really straightforward way to you, okay, so, so buckle up. Guys, watch this. We are a church family, and it's our job as a church family to care for you, but it's your job to put yourself in a position to be cared for. And you've gotta do that by getting into a life group. So if you're here and you're not connected to a life group, listen, I'm pleading with you and you can do that. Here's a very easy way to do that. If you'll just grab the connect card on the inside of the handout that you got on your way in, just give us your name and email address and check the box that says connect to a life group. We will get with you this week to help you connect to a life group that can walk with you in your pain. All right, now watch this. Number two, okay, let's keep going. Number two, is you've got to believe that God will leverage your loss. Believe that God will leverage your loss, all right? Watch this, in John 11, three through six, watch this in verse three, it says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness won't end in death, no, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, watch this, so, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now that's interesting. Here's what you'd think. You'd think it said, you, you would think it would say, uh, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, he say, stayed where he was two more days. That's not what it says. This says so. In other words, Jesus intentionally stayed where he was and intentionally allowed Lazarus to die for a reason. Now you may hear that and you may go, why did he do that? And can I just say, that three letter question is the question you're gonna ask when you get in loss and grief, why? In fact, Jesus, even Jesus asked this question when he hung on the cross. Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now here's what the Bible teaches. Romans eight says that God works all things, including your loss, for the good of those who love him. Now watch this. God promises that he'll leverage your loss but you won't always be able to see how God is gonna leverage your loss. Uh, think, think about the story of Job. Job spends 42 chapters asking God, why, 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 why? Have you ever noticed that God never answers Job? He never answers him. What Job didn't know was that 3,000 years later, people would still be comforted by Job's story. You remember when you were in high school and you got rejected by a girl? And in that rejection, you shook your fist at the sky and you said, oh no, God, why? Why did you do this? You see the same girl 30 years later and you think, God was with me. You see how that word? See, see watch this. It's simply, <laughs> it's simply easier to see how God used your pain in the rear view mirror than it is through the windshield. It's easier. 
You know, Jan and I have seen this in our life, and I won't rehash the story. A lot of you guys know that Jan and I, uh, we uh, have suf- suffered and, and kind of walked through infertility in our marriage. And uh, we've been diagnosed with something called unexplained infertility, which is uh, a diagnosis that is just as helpful as it sounds, right? Unexplained infertility. And, uh, and what we realized is that initially when we were walking through that, we were very, very angry. And then later we realized we, were, we weren't actually angry we were grieving and we weren't giving ourselves permission to grieve. And some of you came, and this is this next sentence I'm about to say, this is the whole reason you need to hear this sermon. Here's what we realized, is you don't just need to grieve the bad things that happened to you, sometimes you need to grieve the good things that didn't happen to you. And we had to do that. And we walked through that grief, and when we walked through that, the question we kept asking was why? Why, God? We ask questions like, God, why can two high schoolers in our city get drunk, have a one night stand, get pregnant, have an abortion? But we're here and we wanna raise children that will know and love you. We wanna turn them over to you and we want them to serve you and do good things for your kingdom. And you won't give us kids? You know, why? And there was anger and grief and sadness. But here's what we couldn't see. Fast forward 14 years and now we can see all the things that God has brought out of that pain in our life. We drew near to God in that season of our life in a way we never have before. We became better, far more compassionate people. Before that season in our life, we would look at people in grief and we'd say, why can't they just get over it? And now we know what it's like to sit with people in their pain. I've got three kids, that three adopted children. I wouldn't trade for any biological children in the whole world, Eliana, Felicity, and little baby Hudson. I've got, yeah. Out of that pain, uh, we started a ministry called No More Fatherless that paid for the mortgage of crisis pregnancy centers and helped families towards adoption and foster care. There are now that we know of over 100 families that have adopted or fostered because of Janice pain and infertility. Dozens and hundreds of women struggling, struggling with infertility have been ministered to by Jana in our living room over meals. Jana was asked to write an article for a magazine called the ERLC. It was one of the, their most read posts, ministering to women in the pain of infertility. And all those things came out of that season. Now watch this. What we couldn't see then is that God wasn't taking Jana's child. He was giving Jana her ministry. That's what God was doing. The Bible says it like this. The Bible says it like this in 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says, now I want you to read this when it's on the screen because you need this verse if you're in loss. It says that God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Guys, who can minister to someone in pain better than somebody who's been through that pain? Sometimes you just need somebody who's been there. Guys, guess who leads our grief care ministry at Lake Point? Somebody who lost a husband. Guess who leads our addiction recovery ministry? Somebody who experienced addiction. Guess who leads our adoption ministry? Somebody who's adopted a special needs child. Guess who leads our divorce care ministry? Somebody who's experienced the pain of divorce. And here's what you need to know if you're in a season of grief and loss is that in God's garden, even broken trees bear fruit. And he will use you, he will use your pain to bring forth the fruit of his glory in this world, in the good of other people's lives. What you gotta understand if you're in the midst of pain, I need you to understand this. Your greatest ministry will probably come from your life's deepest misery. God will use it in your life and you've gotta believe that God will leverage your loss. Now here's the last thing. You've got to, I'm just gonna say it like this. You've gotta learn to face east. (laughs) Now I know that doesn't make any sense, but you've gotta learn to face east. Let me me show you what I'm talking about. So the passage ends like this, and it's a little bit of a downer for you if you're walking through pain. Here's what it says. 
When Jesus had said this, he called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, can I just point something out to you? You may hear this, you may go, man, Josh, really easy for you to preach a sermon about the grief of Jesus when he was getting ready to raise from the dead the guy that he was grieving. Now, really, really easy for you. Well, here's what I need you to understand. What Bible scholars say about all the miracles of Jesus is that what Jesus is doing in his miracles is he's giving us a glimpse now of what will happen to everyone in the future when he returns. So this passage isn't about something that happened to Jesus that won't happen to you. No, it's Jesus condensing what will happen to everyone into a shorter amount of time. One Bible scholar says it like this. Every time Jesus does a miracle, he's pulling the future into the present and giving us a glimpse of the hope that will happen for every single person everywhere when he returns to make all things new. Now let me, let me nerd out for a second here really quick. I, cards on the table, we're still getting to know each other. I am an enormous nerd, a huge nerd. I've read the, uh, Lord, okay, that's a weird place to applaud, but whatever. <clears throat> I've read the Lord of the Rings uh, book somewhere between eight and 10 times, and you know, they're my favorites. Now, let, let me just say this. I'm about to gain half of you and lose half of you, and I'm totally willing to pay that price. Let me just say that right now. Uh, there's a moment at the end of the Lord of the Rings where if you've read or, or seen the story, uh, there's a main character named Sam that at the end of the story, he uh, becomes unconscious right before the climactic defeat of evil in the story. And so when he passes out, he passes out thinking that the mission had failed, that evil had conquered, and that all of his friends were dead. And so he passes out thinking that, and then fast forward, and he wakes up after the defeat of evil in the story. You know, Sauron's been defeated, the ring's been destroyed. All of his friends that he thought were dead are actually alive. And he wakes up in this beautiful house surrounded by all of his friends in the middle of a feast and they're singing and they're laughing. And he wakes up and he finds out that actually evil was defeated, that good won out, that Gandalf, all of his friends that he thought, by the way, I'm about to spoil the ending. Listen, that's on you, not me. The book's been out for 60 years, okay? <laughs> that, uh, listen, that all of his friends that he thought were dead are actually still alive. And if you've ever seen the movie or read the books, there's this moment where Sam, he leaps up in bed and he shouts out this question. He goes, will everything sad come untrue? And guys, Christianity's answer to that question is yes. Everything sad will come untrue because someday in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet shall sound and Christ shall return. And in that moment, the dead shall be raised imperishable. Someday, he who is seated on the throne will shout in a loud voice, behold, I am making all things new. And the dwelling place of God shall be with man and he will dwell with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from every eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. Why? Because the former things will have passed away. All of that will happen. All of that will happen. And because of that, we can face east. Now here's what I mean by facing east. You know, somebody told me uh, a couple months ago that uh, I'd never heard this before. You may never have heard this before, that bodies in cemeteries everywhere in America are always buried where the eyes of the person buried are facing due east. Now, I'd never heard that before, 
And so I had some of our team go to six of the closest cemeteries because I didn't want to lie to you. And the pictures you see on the screen are them confirming it's actually true. Every cemetery you will ever visit, the bodies are buried where the uh, eyes of those buried are facing east. Do you guys know why that is? Because in the Bible, the Bible tells us that when Christ returns, he'll appear in Jerusalem, which is east of the United States. And so for hundreds of years, Christians have been burying bodies facing east because they're staring at the sky, awaiting the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. They, here's what's happening. They're in the place of death, but their eyes are facing the place of resurrection. They're facing east. And I think that's a metaphor for what we're called to do in the midst of our grief and our loss, is to be in a place of pain, grief, and loss, but we are the hope people. We are the Easter people. We are the resurrection people. And so even though we grieve, we set our eyes toward the sky and we eagerly await in hope the return of Christ and we know it's not gonna end like this. That's what it means to face east. And so listen, you might be here and you may say that you've lost a spouse. Okay, now you can say, man, I'm grieving, but I'm not grieving as one who has no hope. My spouse may be dead, but Jesus is not. And when I hold his hand, I'm holding the hand of the one that's holding my husband. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? That's what it looks like to face east. Listen, you might be here and you may be standing in front of the grave of a spouse, child, parent, or friend. And it feels right now like death is getting the final word, but you've read your Bible and you know that death does not have the last word because one day he is going to bring our bodies out of the grave just like his and we will be united with him for eternity. And then our real lives, our true lives that we were created for will really begin. Guys, the grave that most defines your life isn't the one here that's full, it's the one near Golgotha that's empty. That's what it looks like to face east. Listen, you might be here and you're in a season right now of sadness and loneliness. You may say, man, I felt lonely, depressed, overwhelmed. I've cried every day for eight months. When you face east, you say to yourself, but I know there's a day coming when the dwelling place of God will be with man and God will wipe away every tear from every eye. I'm facing east. And what that means is that no matter what pain, loss, loneliness, brokenness, unfulfilled hope, unfulfilled dream, unborn baby, you can know that someday, someday in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet will sound, Christ will return, and the dead will be raised imperishable. They shall no longer hurt nor harm on all his holy mountain. So that even though right now you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil because if you have faith in Christ, everywhere you go, you've got two escorts. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're facing east, we're facing east. We're facing these. Now, what we wanna do this morning is we wanted to give us as a church family a chance to collectively face these together. And so right now, we're getting ready to sing a song together. In fact, I wanna go ahead and invite everybody at all of our campuses to stand. Will you stand with me right now? And we're gonna sing a song that does that. It resonates and gives voice to you if you're in a moment of loss and grief, but it also, it sets our eyes towards the hope we have in Christ. And here's what I need. If you are not in a moment of pain, loss, or grief, there are people all over this room, all over the auditoriums of our church, they need to hear your voice. They need to borrow faith from the person sitting next to them for hope in the midst of what they're going through. So this song's super easy. All you need to do, it's a call and response song. All you need to do is sing these words three times each. We do 
we do, we do, it is, it is, it is, and he is, he is, he is. We sing with us.
thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. Lake Point.